Welcome back, listeners. So excited to have you back for season four of The Bulldog Educator. Matthew and I are looking forward to a great season and a couple things I want to let you know. First of all, we are going to be releasing episodes every other week, um, unlike the summer where we did episodes back to back every week. Uh, So I wanted to let you know that. And then also, instead of us starting off with our season with just Matt and I, we are starting off with Dr. Jennifer Clifton. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. It is a long one, but let me tell you, it is worth the listen all the way through. So put on your earbuds, go for a walk, and enjoy this episode with Dr. Jennifer Clifton. Welcome to the Bulldog Educator Podcast, episode one of season four. This podcast content is developed through a collaboration between co-hosts Matt Caston and Kirsten Wilson and the input from our listeners just like you. Hey, everybody, this is Kirsten. Hey, hey, it's Matt. And we are so glad to be back. We are jumping right into season four, and today we are going to be chatting with our guest, Dr. Jennifer Clifton. Jennifer and Kirsten, that's me, have actually never met face-to-face, and she hasn't met face-to-face with Matt either, but we were connected through one of my work colleagues, shout out Brady Venables, who um, is a close friend and colleague of Jennifer's. So just to let you guys know a little bit about Dr. Clifton, she is the founder and CEO of President Wellbeing LLC. She's also the creator of Present Teacher TM Training. Dr. Clifton has 25 years of experience in public education, mindfulness, yoga, and being a mom. She has worked as an elementary and middle school teacher. She is um, a college level teacher and a program administrator for a teacher preparatory program at the University of Minnesota. Clifton's company is founded on the mission of educator mental health and emotional resilience. She delivers custom professional learning for human service professionals using PlayPosits playlist application. Welcome, Dr. Clifton. Matt and I are so excited to have you on the Bulldog Educator Podcast. Is there anything you'd like to add to what I just said for our listeners to know more about you before we get started? Thank you so much for having me. It is just a joy and a pleasure to have this conversation and opportunity to just talk to you both. I think the only thing that I would add, which is really important context, is that when you mentioned that I'm a mom, that is true. It's important to know that I'm a mom to a 10th grader and twin ninth graders. Mm. So again, I will say it again. It's important to note that I'm a mom to three children who were born. I had three babies in a year and a half. And so when I talk about, when I talk about burnout, um, protecting yourself from burnout and compassion fatigue. I not only studied it in a doctoral program, I've outlived its impact. I've, I've seen the other side of burnout very, very uh, legitimately. And so that's an important part of the bio. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, Jen, because um, one of the things is that educators are our primary audience that we try to reach. And we know in the field of education, the prominent um, gender is female. And so there are a lot of educators out there, women educators that are also balancing mom, being a mom and what that entails. And then in a lot of ways in our job as educators, we're also filling some of those roles as a mom or a nurturing um, individual would in our classrooms because it's just an extension of how we interact with the world. And so um, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that our listeners can really relate to what uh, you're sharing here. And I know there are some male educators out there as well that balance that home life of parent and work life as an educator as well. And um, it can be, um, it can lead to burnout. Um, yeah, the caregiver role, those of us who are called to education um, are, are deeply um, service oriented around caring for other humans. 
And so even if we are in education as caregivers and we come home and we don't necessarily have children at home anymore, or maybe we've never had children, we're still caring perhaps for aging parents or we're caring for elders in our community. And so you're absolutely right. Every time that I present one of the things when I talk about burnout prevention and soul health um, and emotional and mental health, uh, one of the things people often say is that they give so much in their role as an educator that when they get home, they are so exhausted and cranky for the very people in their lives who are their inner circle. And so that is a very common tension that we hear about and that we and that we talk about is that dual caretaker role. Um, and it's important to discuss that there are that there are ways to um, to manage all of the caregiving so that the caregiving doesn't simultaneously deplete you. Because I often say um, the biggest or the most ultimate sacrifice, because remember as caregivers, we're always sacrificing things, right? We are, and our problem is that we're, we're really good at it. Um, but I often say that the ultimate sacrifice that cannot happen is that you caregive to the point where you give away all of yourself. Because that ultimate sacrifice is, is not worth it, nor is it sustainable. And in the end, it actually doesn't serve the people you love most. And so helping people learn how to kind of manage um, the energy of caretaking is really, really important. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're going to start off with question, our first question. And the first one is, um, and in many ways, my journey through life and your journey are very similar, although I did not have twins. Right. I have taught elementary and middle school. I am a mom and I have my foot in higher education. That's where I'm headed and where you are now. Um, and as an instructor and am working on my PhD. So um, I can relate to that. In your journey, what brought you to the path of educator wellness? And you kind of alluded to that some with that you experienced it and then you worked your way through it and what you're learning, you're teaching others. But like what like what was the moment that you were like, this is where I'm headed and this is what I'm doing? I can tell you, thank you for that question. I really love it. It's a, I can tell you the exact moment uh, the universe shifted for me. And so I like to say that when I present or when I teach that I've, I've been teaching since I was two um, in my basement, in my mom's heels, right? So it isn't just, I've got 25, 26 plus professional years of experience. Um, I've been teaching forever. And I remember the moment things shifted for me in terms of what my calling was in education. Cause you mentioned too, that I've been an elementary a reading teacher, a middle school teacher as well. I um I was told I couldn't have children actually. And so I had decided that it was time to go back and get my doctorate because in one of my last jobs working in a middle school setting was to do professional development with the middle school and high school teachers to remind them that they're always reading teachers. So this is a plug for that. Middle and high school teachers, you're always reading teachers, right? Vocabulary is the access gateway to your to your content. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> So I was told I couldn't have children. And so I was like, I want to go back. I've always felt called to get a doctorate, to be a professor. I just saw myself at a university professing, right? And um, so I started my PhD program. And then that fall, I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, wait a second, this wow. wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, but I was thrilled that it did. And then I was like, that's fine. I can be cute and be a graduate student with a baby. You know, it's it'll be great. And then nine months later, I was like, I don't feel so great. And then I found out I was pregnant again. And then I found out there were two. And I was like, okay, I can't be a PhD student with three babies at home because quite literally nobody was sleeping because twins don't always fall asleep at the same time at night when you put kids, right? So nobody was sleeping. And so within the, it was, I still remember this first fall when I was not going back to school as a teacher and I was not going back to school as a graduate student. I was staying home with three babies, a first, like, excuse me, a one-year-old and newborns. And so just me not being in a classroom setting in the fall was really wonky for me, just like in terms of my whole universal scheme of like what my mission was. 
And then I was home with these three infants whose needs I could not meet. And every day I could tell I was not meeting the needs of my own children. And so I remember the moment that you're, you're asking about how did I get called to this work and teacher education? It was seven in the morning and my um, twins had been up all night. And so I had been up all night and I finally got the twins down. And then my one-year-old wakes up and mm -hmm. I remember um, putting my one-year-old in front of the television, right? Doing all these things that moms feel very guilty about. And I went into my bedroom and I just stared out the window and I didn't even have any tears to cry because I had cried them all. Like postpartum depression is deeply real. And I remember feeling so depleted, so lost, so guilty that I hated the fact that I was home with these beautiful babies that I couldn't serve well, right? That felt very hard and that I couldn't be in the classroom. And then the guilt was, how am I not happy with having a beautiful life? right? And so the moment that it hit me was when I said to my own self, it was this moment of true, like reckoning with myself, where I just, I looked out the window and I remember saying to my own self, you have to do something to find your foundation because if you lose it, like all of this falls apart. And so I just remember in that moment, hearing this quiet voice whisper to me and all it said was do what you do best. You, you write, you connect and you teach. And I remember in that moment, this insight dropped and I, I walked out of my bedroom and I walked over to my desk and I started writing out the first several chapters of a book on teacher well-being and on burnout prevention, because I thought, well, maybe my mission now that I'm home with these three babies and I need to be well for this, maybe my mission is to study, um, being well as a caregiver. And in addition to, and I, this is why I called it my soul badical, get it? I had done two years of graduate work, but now I was home. So I called it my soul badical. I'm like, no, I'm going to research this. I'm going to research this pain. I'm going to research this connect disconnection to myself. I'm going to research what happens if I start doing more contemplative practices. I was already into yoga and some forms of meditation and like calming my nervous system. I just decided to start doing one thing a day for myself for maybe only five minutes. And then I started researching its impact. And then I started writing about it. And um, the moment I started to do all of that, I was like, I started this community called Mindful Moms Network. And I started to realize that other caregivers really resonated with these super simple, just strategies for reconnection to the self when you were in the midst and the depth of caregiving for others. And then that's what kind of ballooned and spiraled into then me discovering that when I went back to get my PhD, like to finish it, because I started two years and then had three babies. Um, about seven years later, I went back um, and finished my doctorate, but not as a reading professor. I brought together my expertise as a yoga teacher, a mindfulness and a meditation teacher and teacher and educator, caregiver um, burnout and compassion fatigue. And then I created a program that created the cycle of well-being, the cycle of mental health, um, because I'm a wisdom seeker. And I was always like, if we know what gives rise to pain and suffering and burnout, which we do, my quest was, well, what gives rise to mental health? What gives mm. rise to emotional well-being? What gives rise to me showing up for my beautiful children in a loving way where I also feel the bounty and the love of that connection. And I don't feel depleted by that connection. And so that's what I studied. And then that's now what I teach. That first, that was, I need to hear that. I thank you. That was awesome. Um, loved, you know, the, just the, the introspection and, and, you doing the hard thing, which is to sit down with yourself and talk to yourself. I think a lot of people um, may avoid that. And it, understandable, it's really difficult, but I really appreciate you sharing that. And I have to say, um, <laughs> I have to thank Kirsten, when we first started this, this podcast, um, I really wasn't quite sure how it was going to work with like the guests and how that goes. But we I have to say, we've done a really good job of like just finding people. And I've always, I've enjoyed all the guests we've had, you know, clearly. Um, but Kirsten, I got to shout you out for finding Jen 
like what what you just shared was so powerful and i know there you only shared like probably 10% of what happened you know i know there i know the iceberg of all the things and the sleepless nights and that kind of stuff but that is really powerful and i loved <laughs> love doing this show because this is exactly what educators need to hear um you know need to be doing, need to be practicing, need to be thinking about, need to be talking to other educators about. Because um, this is the kind of stuff that that gives brings me life and, you know, brings me joy and, and helps me remember why I chose to do this work, um, even though I'm on a, I'm still a year so radical. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Feel it. Feel so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Wow. I think I like and, that better than early retirement, Matthew. <laughs> Take yeah, so difficult. We're all teachers. It's the whole beg, borrow, steal. Just yes, you know, and I'm sure I've stolen it from someone without awareness. So, and Matt, I really want to say thank you for uh, naming the, I. this is what I call reverence, right? Like being reverential to the fact that my story is radically deeper than that. And that um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I do share over time, but what I don't often share when I tell like the really beautiful buttoned up story is that in the postpartum depression came up a lot of my um, adverse childhood experiences. My ACEs came bubbling up. And so, yeah, that that window of about four years when the, when the babies were little and I was not in a classroom, I was facing some deep, dark things. I was facing the, um, the compassion fatigue and the burnout of being a mom. But then when those cracks happen, all of my unprocessed trauma from a really rough and difficult upbringing uh, came bubbling up. And so I suffered from massive panic attacks that my partner didn't know how to manage because I didn't know how to manage. And there were, um, Matt, thank you. There were some very scary moments that were touch and go. And I remember saying when I talked to people about why I'm so passionate about a relationship with yourself, which is what I call soul health, is because I have made that call to my 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 mom and said, mom, this is the call you should be worried about. I will not hurt the babies, but I know enough about myself to say, I don't know about myself right now. I need help. Mm -hmm. And that um, that is important to talk about. Uh -huh. And it's important to normalize and the program and the projects and the work that I do in the world is to, the way I describe it is to, to put that lightsaber. I do a lot with the, with the force. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can see behind me right now, you've got, I've got my little like um, baby Yoda oh, yeah. right here. Yep. 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 Little, little um, listeners can't see, listeners can't see the baby Yodas. Um, but in the darkness, <laughs> there always is like a little fractal of light. And that fractal of light is your soul and your spirit wanting to connect with you. And you can keep like getting that light brighter, but you have to invest in that connection with that relationship with the self. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered as educators and as like parents or caregivers for our parents, we are relationship experts. We're relationship researchers. So why is it in a field that's based on relationship science and the expert mm. relationships that we are so neglectful of the relationship with ourselves. This is not sustainable. Um, and we can, we, I, you can, you all have a lightsaber in your back pocket. Y'all do. You just, someone needs to guide your hand back there to grab it. And then when you figure out where the on button is and it whooshes on, I, I like to say my curriculum shows you how to wield it. How do you move it around? How do you create that force and that energy so that you glow? And that's what I study. I studied um, in my dissertation. I studied what are, what are the practices um, that that are preventative of burnout, but that also allow your soul texture to just be so known. Because kids are looking to attach with healthy souls. <laughs> It's why we're there to serve. And let's face it, that's why we we love people is to support them. But we we don't want them attaching to an unhealthy spirit. Hmm. So yeah, it goes deep. Sorry, Matt. You walked no, me no, in. No. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing. So I learned something new. Not only are you an educator and you know, um 
caretaker parent, but you're also apparently a Jedi master. So I, I dig it. It's cool. My two lightsabers are upstairs. I wish I, I often, <laughs> I do. I have two. I've got one, like a princess Leia one. She's really awesome. And my daughters, mm -hmm. again, now they're 10th grade and ninth grade. They'll hear me with my lightsaber in my bedroom. And they're like, if the door is closed, mom's either had a very good day or a very bad day. There is something healing about grabbing a lightsaber and whipping it around. I know you're going to want to do this. Everybody's going to want to do this after they listen to this. I'm telling you. I just need to start classes. I'm like, going to go borrow the ones out of my son's, son's yes. bedroom since he's off to college. He won't know. There's something healing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, but no, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a good segue into the second question. Um, so one of the things that we know about educators, we kind of alluded to this, you know, before the recording, as we're recording, is that, you know, we tend to put the needs of others before our own needs uh, sometimes to the point that, you know, we don't even know what our needs are anymore or how to recognize our needs. Definitely been there. Um, we know that's a decision. We know that a decision to change that isn't like a light switch, right? You can't just turn it on and off. It's a slow, purposeful change. Um, and I think you would have some great advice about telling us what are some of those first steps that educators can do to put themselves in their needs and well-being first. Thank you for that question. Um, you That question, maybe without your awareness, goes to the heart and soul of the origins of burnout. Burnout mm -hmm. is a slow disintegration of the soul of the teacher over time. I'm going to say it again. Burnout is a slow disintegration. Burnout is not instantaneous. And so remember how earlier I said, I, if we know if we know the origins of burnout, if we know burnout is a slow disintegration of the soul or the spirit of the caregiver over time, that's often why caregivers say they feel like they're pulled apart in 50 different directions all the time. That's mm -hmm. why they describe it that way. Your question is really beautiful and profound because it speaks to then like what I study, which is, well, what's the opposite cycle? And if burnout is a slow disintegration, then becoming well is a slow reintegration. And we need to just start walking the path. And I love, Matt, what you just said about decision. And the beautiful thing is when I talk to teachers and educational caregivers, and that I include that to include everybody who works um, on the front lines in education, food service, transportation, everybody. We're all walking into schoolhouse and school building doors there to serve children. What I help people to remember is that um, the beautiful thing about developing your relationship with yourself is this. Number one, when you develop a conversation with yourself, and these are the two core questions to ask yourself to start that journey, to make that decision. So if people need to get a sticky note and something to write with, do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you asked, right? I give very practical advice. I'm deeply theoretical and philosophical, right? But then I'm also like on the ground. You guys are ready. The easiest, quickest, and most effective way to start to develop a relationship with yourself is to ask yourself these two questions repeatedly. And I used to write them on sticky notes and put them in my coat pockets. And I put them in my jean pockets just so I'd randomly find them until I got really conditioned at it. The first question is, what do I want? In this moment, what do I want? And then the second question is, what do I need? And the core of soul health, which is a profound, tight relationship with, with yourself, because burnout is the slow disintegration. Let's not even let burnout take root. When we can be so, I call it secure self-attachment, you know how like attachment theory, we have a healthy or unhealthy attachments. Um, since I survived many unhealthy attachments with caregivers, I started to study, well, what is secure self-attachment? And that is that is the relationship with the self. So if you simply ask yourself those two questions multiple times a day, what do I need and what do I want? You will start to develop a relationship with that inner voice and that inner healer, because we know that there is an inner healer. You have an inner caretaker. It's how it's why you're so good at what you do. <laughs> and whenever teachers or caregivers tell me that they can't do this, I'm like, yeah, but you're a caregiver. It's your superpower. So you can't tell me your superpower is caring for others and not then caring for yourself. We just need mm -hmm. to turn the mirror 
around. And then the other thing I leave people with, because the biggest thing that gets in people's head to block them from even asking themselves those questions is they feel like there's never enough time. And time is just a construct that we can we can move and 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 flow with. But here's the thing about that those two questions: what do I need and what do I want? They take no time to ask, like none, hmm. right? And then when you when you answer them, if whatever the answer is, it you'll often find that it takes a lot less time to meet your needs and wants than you imagined, and oftentimes. All your body is really wanting when you ask, what do I need and what do I want is your attention. It just, it's craving your attention. And so, yes, if for simplicity's sake, if in the moment I'm asking myself, like after this, because I can feel it right now as we're on this call. And um, I was talking to Kirsten on Wednesday and said that my daughters had been sick and that I was starting to feel sick. Um, I can already feel right now, like my back is super tight and sore. And so I know immediately following this call, I'm going to be go, going and sitting and, and um, you know, putting a warm compress on my back. And what that does is um, it develops a safe and secure relationship with myself where my body trusts me and it trusts and knows that I'll meet its needs, right? Now, if I had another meeting after this, I might say, well, maybe I'll put that off for another couple hours. But the point is, ask yourself what you need and want. It gives yourself attention. And that's very um, healing. Because remember, think about it with our children or those people who want our, our caregiving. They just want our attention. In the end, right? When we give care, we're giving other people attention. So something really beautiful happens when you just give yourself attention. And then you say, okay, I can meet that need in a half hour, or I can meet that need this weekend. Um, it's about restoring that trust with the self and that body trust um, and that safety. And um, and I often also describe it, it's like a powerful, if you've ever had or, or done any work with like um, essential oils, you know what I mean? Like really good, pure essential oils. You only need a little baby drop of that stuff because it's so potent. That is what I say about your self-attention. When you give yourself attention, it is so potent. Your energy for yourself is super potent. So you actually don't even need a ton of time to like bathe in the potency of that self-energy. And then what I also say is, here's the stinker about it no one else can give you that potent attention, but you, cause it's almost like your lightsaber crystal. Cause inside uh, not to get too like nerdy with the, but I love right. The nerdy, all of it. Um, <laughs> the crystal in your lightsaber only works for you. Right. So there's something quite special and I do use the word sacred and I don't mean it as a religious affiliate affiliatory term um, while it can be, but, but, when you are in that type of deep, trusting, safe relationship with yourself, it is sacred. Um, and something very special and potent is built there. And what I've discovered through my research is that when caregivers invest in that inner relationship with themselves, all of a sudden their caregiving becomes more alive and more mm -hmm. vibrant. And now they're giving from a place that's generative and restorative versus depletive. Is that a word depletive? I just said depletive and <laughs> it is now. <laughs> but it 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 changes again. I talk a ton about energy because we are energy, our systems are energy, our minds, our bodies, our spirits, it's all energy. Relationship is a sharing of energy. Y'all, we need to know how our energy works. We just we need to know. And self-attention is really beautiful, potent powerful attention that no one else can give you. This is some powerful things that have actually resonate with a lot of my own work that I've been doing um, on myself. Um, when you talk about sacred, it's this um, holding space um, and having the respect for that space that you're holding instead of, um, instead of not holding space. And so um when we talk about those first steps, those two questions, I kind of wanted to talk about it. Um, I taught writing third grade, seventh grade, and sometimes the kids, I don't know what to write about. And so I'm like, so keep writing. You don't know what to write about until something <laughs> pops up that you want to write about. 
And I thought about um, those two questions because sometimes I've had trouble answering those questions. Like, I don't even know how to answer the question. Sometimes what do I want? Because I don't know what I want. I just know I need something. And so what I do is, what do I want? What do I need? I don't know at the moment. And then, so I set a timer and then I ask myself, have the timer go off and I walk away from it because you know, you can get like stuck where you, you, you focus on, you can't answer the question. So I go and do something else. And then when that timer goes off, I ask myself the question again. And what I've learned by doing that is eventually you're able to start answering the question. So for those of you that are listening right now and you're doing those first steps and you don't know the answer to the question, don't stop asking. Just keep asking until you do have an answer. And then eventually the answers will come easier because you'll start to recognize that voice of what you want and what you need that has become so quieted because we haven't held the space for it. Um, Mm. So I just like, I was really thinking about that as you were talking, because I've been asked that question when I've been doing some of this work and I haven't been able to give an answer. Um, And instead of just saying, I can't give an answer, it's like, well, then keep asking the question until you can. I absolutely. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jen. Oh, no, go ahead, Matt. If you insist, uh, Kirsten, I love that so much uh, because it's it's such good practical advice um, to, and it it marries so well with with Dr. Clifton said, sorry. it it made me think of, I've also tried to ask myself these questions sometimes. And like you said, I don't have an answer, right? And I don't know. And I love the way that you navigate that is, is having a timer, mm-hmm. sitting the timer, coming back to the question, right? Until you have an answer. I love that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to practice that. Usually for me, I say, you know, what do I need? I don't know. I just need things to change. And that's my starting point. I say, like, okay, what needs to change or how does it need to change or why? Um, but I love that the the setting a timer and kind of walking away from it and then coming back to it. Uh, that is some really good advice. Well, and, and Matt, Jen- thing- yeah, oh, sorry. Gosh, I'm sorry. You were, con- you were like contemplating with your pen by your lips. And I was like, oh, is he pausing? Sorry, I don't want to disrupt that flow. No, you keep going. No, I was done. I was actually going to apologize for interrupting you earlier. <laughs> we're also polite so in here. <laughs> well, this is the problem, right? Like we are, we're super considerate, which is a good thing. But um, Matt, what I loved what you said is this, use contrast. This is how I describe, right? Contrast is what we don't want. So Matt, you're right. If you can at least just say, well, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. Start mm. here. Use the contrast to then illuminate what you do want. And that's great to then say, okay, well, okay, you don't know what you want. Okay, no problem. We can get there. Let's ask some different questions. I'm a researcher and um, I'm a teacher. And what I often say, especially as a researcher, is you have to ask the right questions. Mm. Right questions matter. If I did a dissertation with the wrong core questions, it's going to lead me in a radically different way. If I'm sitting with a participant and I don't ask the right questions, it matters. So Matt, you're right. Use the contrast. Start with, well, here's what's not working. And then you baby step it away from, well, okay, let's take one little chunk of what's not working. And now tell me what's the opposite. What could work? What what What's the opposite of that? What are we looking for that could potentially work? And so it is absolutely powerful and helpful to start with what's not working or what we don't want to help us find and get a little like inchworm closer to knowing what we do want. Um, And another great strategy too, that's very helpful for people who like to come into the body through the intellect, right? Everybody needs to know like what their gateway is. Some people don't prefer to come into their awareness with themselves through the intellect. They like to come through the heart space or the center. And so what I often invite them to do is just simply to say, what would feel good right now? Mm. I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want. And so then my question is always, well, okay, just like what would feel good right now? And here's what's so beautiful for all of you educators and educational caregivers, excuse me, listening. Here's what I love about this work. All of the questions you're asking yourself 
are really great practice to hold spaces of equity for others. Mm. They serve both. Because when you're sitting with a child who needs to self-regulate because they're kids, they're supposed to dysregulate because their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed yet, <laughs> right? When you're holding space for them to learn their power of wielding their lightsaber, I often say like social and emotional learning are like the skills of the lightsaber. And then I teach the four competencies of soul health as like the lightsaber moves. When you're holding the space for children to wield their lightsaber, because uh, remember you can't do the work for them. <laughs> um, some of the best questions are just to say, let's breathe, what would feel good right now? Okay, what do you need? Okay, what do you want? Because we cannot hold spaces of reverence, compassion, belonging, and safety and healing for others if we can't hold them for ourselves. And so this, this, like, this secure self-attachment, this relationship with yourself, if you want the bang for your buck to just be like, I need a different reason to do it than just for me, then the reason is it will make you a profoundly more equitable and beautiful caregiver for the, the souls you were called to serve. Two things can be true at the same time. So you can simultaneously be doing the work of self-relationship while you're learning practices and skills that make you better at the caregiving role you wanna do. In fact, not only can they, they just, they are. Well, <laughs> That's the beautiful thing. And it's one of the cool. things that I started to embrace about a year ago was the concept, if it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both and. And I yeah. think that that's what yes. this is about. It's the both it and. This is the beautiful thing. When we help caregivers to see that when they give themselves at least a 10th of their attention, a 10th of what they give other people, mm. it both enlivens them and brings them to life. And it makes their caregiving even more impactful. Like this, this, this is how it is. This is just, it's like a, it's a, a natural phenomenon, so to speak. And of course, your your um, both and reminds me of Tina Fey and the rules of improv, right? Her first is yes mm -hmm. and. Like we yeah. have to yes and this, everybody, because also to what I say is like, this is all to, now this is John Kabat-Zinn. So this is me crediting somebody, right? Like John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of been the pioneer of mindfulness here in, in um, the Western world, uh, says that this is all too serious to take seriously. We have to be playful with this. We right. We we have to you know be able to have joy and um, joy ba ba like joy and happiness in this work. And Bettina Love, I love Bettina, who wrote this great book. We want to do more than survive, and in it she talks about mm -hmm. how we need to find joy in the trauma. We need to find joy in the suffering because it's the fight to being fully human and. And I guarantee a lot of caregivers, I would probably venture to say every caregiver listening to this has had to fight battles where they've had to fight and find joy, even in significant trauma, even in significant darkness. And what I'm here to say in the work that I do around, you know, caregiver soul health and mental health and emotional health is now is the time to keep glowing and growing and actualizing and getting brighter and getting brighter and brighter. And the way you do that is through those self-relationship principles. I stopped saying self-care. Some people just are really resistant to that. They just, it's like for them, it's lip service. And so since I'm a, I'm a, a reading teacher, um, I'm very careful with vocabulary, um, not to use words that resist, you know, people resist necessarily, but Think about it when you're working with yourself around understanding relationships. Remember, you're in the business of relationship science, which is a thing, interpersonal neurobiology, it's called. And think about if you can't get into doing the relationship-based caregiving things for yourself, just on its own accord, right? Um, do it because it's just good relationship science. Study yourself study your needs, study your wants, study what it feels like to hold spaces of safety and belonging for yourself, even if it's just five minutes a day and just see what the impact is.
it's two things that that really struck me that that y'all were saying. Uh, the first is, and Kirsten, you brought this up about kind of being aware of and sometimes resisting when necessary the the binary. Like it always has to be this or that, and kind of embracing the Tina Fey of yes and and you know the improv. Um, that's something that I've also been really intentional about, and I think that we oftentimes think of rest as a binary, like when we're resting, we are doing nothing, right? And this has been my struggle in, in my early retirement or sabbatical. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I, I love this conversation because, you know, especially in education, like it, it, it is yes and, like, you know, education or learning is a joy and it is a joy to learn. Like, <laughs> it, I, you know, I've been a kid in a classroom where, um the classroom means that there are no there's no fun being had and we're very serious and we're sitting in desks and we can't move and we have to you know that's no so I love the fact that we're talking about um the the duality of I mean everything learning education rest all that good stuff and the second thing is y'all gave me a really good idea that I want to take out when I leave my early retirement. Um, so when I was working with teachers directly, uh, I used to do something called liberating structures, which is basically uh, a fun way to get information from a crowd. Basically, if you're, if you're facilitating, it's a really quick way to get a lot of thoughts from the room. There's this one called 15%, where you break the group up into small groups um, and you have them kind of discuss 85% uh, of their issue. And then you turn and talk to a partner about the 15% of the solution that you have that can fit that or fix that. But I'm going to flip that and start asking educators about their 10%. Because, Jen, you were saying that if educators focused, oh, how'd you phrase it? Now I'm going to mess up the wording. You said if educators can give to themselves just 10% of what they give to other people, it would change the way they they are, they be, you know, they're, they're the way they, they be in the classroom. Not really butchering this, but <laughs> I love I that because <laughs> that made me think about, oh, snap, you know, as an educator who work with teachers and students, um, how could I have been giving that 10% to me? You know, what, how would have things been different? How would have I taken care of myself? Or like you said, the inner circle of my brother and my dad, when I come home, I'm not as crabby. And so, yeah, I love that 10%. And it kind of reminded me of what you said about the essential oils. You don't need a little bit, little. but a little bit goes a long way. So those are two things that really jumped out at me and I had to voice my appreciation of like y'all sharing those things. Well, you're so welcome. And what I discovered in my research, which led me to that awareness that like, holy cow, like I don't, you know, yeah, weekend long retreats, or I like to think of like my whole year as like a, a plate that I'm filling with all of the things that bring me to life. And most days I just need a couple small little things for myself that are just my musts, right? Like, so de develop for yourself, just what are your two to three things just must on your must like list of each day, I must at least do this. And, and it doesn't even need to, again, be long to be effective. One of my musts, the things that like, the thing that brings me to life when I wake up every morning that gets me out of bed is my pour over coffee routine. I am addicted to coffee. I love, love, adore it. So that's my must. Like, and so like make the things that just allow you to feel just like who, like, like you just, you love them like expand them, make, like make them your quote unquote meditation. And I use that in air quotes because people sometimes can write, we're not um, promoting religious um, affiliated practices here. I'm super secular when it comes to like talking about these things. And so do all run with what you're already doing. Just do it intentionally. Find those things you're already doing that are sources of my, oh, I call them wellsprings your emotional wellspring, your mental wellspring. Um, maybe you walk your dog. Yeah, do it now with intention and full awareness. This brings me to life. Um, and what I discovered about how quickly that um, could happen, Matt, in terms of like, wow, this is potent. 
energy is potent. Energy is instantaneous because I watched this teacher, um, this one particular teacher was, she was a kindergarten teacher watching this young little boy struggle with writing and he was crying. And now again, I'm in the room doing my research and she had taken my class. And so she was using some of the practices she learned. And she's like, and so Jen, I was like, I was really stressed because I wanted to finish all of my assessments. It was assessment season. And I was kind of annoyed that this little kindergartner was sitting at his desk crying. Like, why shouldn't, why isn't he working? He should just be working, right? Hmm. It's like, but I remembered what you said, like miracles, I call them micro miracle moments because this is based off of Marion Williamson's concept of, um, Marion Williamson wrote a great book called Return to Love. And I love her concept of a miracle. She says, a miracle is not a change in an external environment. It's just a shift in perspective. And shifts in perspective are instantaneous. They take no time at all. So I coined this term called the micro miracle moment where teachers find these little moments where they take energy and they shift it miraculously in like no time at all. And it has a really beautiful impact. So this teacher says, Jen, I remembered what you said about my calling and my purpose. And in that moment when I was feeling stressed about those assessments, I remembered these assessments can wait. Like, yes, I have to get these done, but this little kindergartner is crying and I, I cannot watch this. So she's like, I stopped the assessments, even though it was stressful, because I knew I had to get those done. And I walked over to the little boy and I knelt down next to him and I just looked at him and I said, honey, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know what to do. And she's like, oh my gosh, I realized at that moment, I passed out papers to everybody in the class that had like, you know, when you're in kindergarten and you're writing your name and it's got the line on it where you know how to like put your letters right between the lines. She's like, when I passed his paper out, it was blank and I didn't notice. He didn't know where to start. He didn't know what to do. And yeah. she's like, it's my mistake. And she's like, so all I did was just draw out the two lines with the little dotted line in the middle. I helped him get started on his first letter. And in about five seconds, his tears went to joy and he started writing. And that whole micro miracle moment took under 20 seconds. And it shifted the energy and dynamic of this boy's morning. And then she said, and this is what we also know from the research. These are called psychic rewards. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy, Daniel Lorty in the book, School Teacher, talks about psychic rewards. And this is what this teacher was commenting on about, again, how potent these moments are. She's like, I just needed to notice that moment and not ignore it and attend to it. And all I did was give it 10 seconds of my time. And it brought me to life, as she said, and what most teachers say about those psychic rewards, they're like, we can live off of those for weeks. We can, you know, that's like soul food for us. That is nourishment. And so that's, that's part, Matt, of that, that potency of like, um, it need not be long to be effective, but you do have to notice it. You do have to stoke it and you do have to attend to it. And that's a practice that back to our original question about like, again, the slow grow of that relationship. It's like any good relationship. Any good relationship has that slow grow. It needs perpetual investment of, of your energy and attention. And it's the same for yourself, but keep doing it because you are going to find such a radically awesome, beautiful, heart-centered human inside of there that you're going to blow yourself away by how incredible you are. And sometimes I wonder if people don't do it because they're so afraid to see just how freaking awesome they are. Sorry, can I say freaking? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of not kidding. I'm just like, you guys, you see what you do in the world, right? Yeah. And they yeah. don't. And they don't. And I so want people to see how beautiful they are. And that kind of leads us to this next part where I wanted to bring us to kind of to where you share more about your present teacher work or your, pre yeah, your present teacher work and the present teacher restoration project that you have. Yeah. Um, because we've really been talking about restoration and restoring ourselves so that we can restore others, um, but first restoring ourselves. So could you share a little bit more with us about that? Absolutely. 
So my website, the presentteacher.com website has um, information about all of the types of like in-person now that we're back from COVID, right? In-person keynotes that I do. So a lot of times districts will bring me in for, you know, 90 or 60 minute keynotes. Um, I've got a lot of programs also listed on my website that I come and do in person um, with both a colleague of mine, Nuhu Sims, who's an equity director, and he and I talk about soul justice and social justice. So there's in-person, like present teacher trainings. I call everything present teacher, and I mean teacher like in the broadest sense of the term, because when kids walk down school house, you know, wall, like, excuse me, halls, everybody's their teacher. Because how you engage with children, your smile teaches them. And so that's why it's a holistic. It's not only for classroom teachers. Um, and so I've got a lot of, again, in-person trainings, um, some that are eight to nine hours, 10 hours long, and we we kind of dose it over the entire school year. Others are more just one-off. I call them more of just like little, like little quote unquote boosters, right? Like little like spirit soul boosters for people. Um, but the present teacher restoration project is um, a self-paced online program that is all about soul health and soul restoration. Um, in it, we talk about adult social and emotional learning. It really is, it's an eight module and the modules are 30 minutes each. They're meant to be little baby sips. And what I invite people to do is when, um, when you do do the training, it's just take, a, take one module a week because the gold is in the integration. And so in each of the eight modules, there's a 10 minute video of me teaching about the topic. And the first module is prioritizing your well-being. <laughs> we have to start there. And so then there's like a 10 minute like video of me talking that you can pause. And this is how I know Brady. Brady used to work for PlayPosit. PlayPosit is what hosts the training. Then there's a, um, a 12, uh, 12 to 15 minute yoga mindful movement video, because I, I believe that all well-being is in the body. Um, and so there's a mindful movement video that gets you in the body and restores body health while you're integrating the principles of like the, the 10, 15 minute uh, educational model. Then there's a guided mental health visualization. Um, some teachers were just like, Jen, I have a very hard time closing my eyes when I listen to those guided meditations, but I pull it up on my computer. I put it on when I'm eating my lunch and I just kind of walk around my classroom and I listen to your voice and I don't, I don't have to close my eyes. And I'm like, that's wonderful. And then for each of the eight modules, there's downloadable PDFs for you then to download. And then what I call them, they're, they're your put into practice. So then those PDFs tell, teach you, okay, now go try this. Now integrate this. And here's what we've discovered. Um, it's from top to bottom, a four-hour um, training where then at the, at the end of it, you get um, a certificate for clock hours because then you can apply for CEUs. On average, when I check the statistics on the platform, most people invest anywhere from 15 to 25 hours in a four-hour module or training because they're re-watching the modules. They're mm. re the yoga they're just right they're using it as um they're using it as a practice versus a one-off experience to get through and so the present teacher restoration project is something that districts um buy and license for their staff that's very ideal um or it's something too that counties have purchased for districts and so we've gotten county support in minnesota um, our Minnesota Public Health Department has um, a lot of support for educators. And so they often, um, there's investment opportunities there. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful program that when a, when a school district or a building in particular, like maybe one elementary school, when they take it up, everybody works together on it. And we've even seen some districts purchase it and then have cohorts of teachers meet after school and do it together. They, they like doing it in person. Mm -hmm. um, and the present teacher restoration project is simply, it was, it was because of COVID. I was teaching in person all of these classes. And then when COVID hit and no one was in schools, I recorded those videos in two months. It was very grueling, <laughs> um, but I recorded those videos and put it all online in two months time so that our educators and our educational caregivers had something because they were just so feeling disconnected um, from themselves and from everyone else. And so 
it's really kind of beautiful how um, people are still using it and districts are still buying it because it allows for accessible mental, emotional, and soul health um, professional development. That's evidence and research-based and experience-based. Yeah, so that's a little bit about the trainings. That's awesome. So it is awesome. About, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to talk over you. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um. So we talked about a lot of different things today, but I um always want to ask my guests, um, Matt and I do that to make sure that we've covered anything and everything that our um, guests would like to share. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us or the listeners today? No, I really feel like our conversation was very thorough. I think I think the thing that I would most want to share, I kind of said it before you asked me about the um, Present Teacher Restoration Project, which is um, really inviting these beautiful souls to like turn inward. Um, because the thing that I, I realized when I wrote my dissertation was, oh my gosh, what if the profession called us, because we know it's a calling, we know that we're called to work with children or young adults, right? Or we're, we're called to work with our communities and we're called to like help, heal, serve, teach others. But what I discovered is, wait a second, what if our calling actually called us to get closer to ourselves? What if our calling actually called us to learn, grow, help, and heal ourselves simultaneously as we hold spaces of growth and becoming for others? And that's what I discovered is that when caregivers can actualize, self-actualize along with the people that they're raising, that's how we lift people and communities and systems up. And uh, and it's a yes and. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we got work to do. So we really do. Let's get to it, everybody. Yeah. Let's right. There is no turning back now. Mm. Well, I wanted to let listeners know that they can go and find more information about the present teacher and the present teacher restoration project by going to www.presentteacher.com to find more information. Um, and I really appreciate Dr. Clifton that you're joining us today. And I hope that everyone um, not only enjoyed this, but maybe found uh, some space for themselves um, to really start to ask themselves those questions and start the process of reconnecting with their soul um, if they haven't already done that work. Um, because this isn't just about enjoyment, but I think it's about healing too. Um, I think that Matt, I think today you and I walked a little closer to our own healing as we went through this process. And so we really appreciate Dr. Clifton, um, you doing that through the process of this podcast. Um, had no idea when we started this that we, that would that would be where we are right now. Um, I also want to let everybody know that Dr. Clifton is really easy to connect with. Um, she has a website where you can um, where you can connect. We'll also be putting that in the show notes. We'll also link to um, Dr. Clifton's LinkedIn and her Twitter account if you would like to connect with her there. Um, and um, we just appreciate your time today, Dr. Clifton. Thank you so much. It was a joy, a pleasure, and a privilege. And yeah, we don't tell people about the healing thing on the onset. We don't want to scare them. We just, we, we invite them. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Thank you both. You're beautiful. Oh, thank and you. Beautiful. And um, yeah, we got to keep bringing the light. Thank you. And now for our living in beta mode segment. I've recently started using a great project management tool called Todoist. I'm a list maker, but I was getting overwhelmed with all my different lists. A list for work, a list for my consulting work, a list for my master's class I teach, a list for my PhD work, a list for my family, and on and on. Well, Todoist is the answer, and you can do a lot just at the free level. Become focused, organized, and calm with Todoist the world's number one task manager and to-do list app. Clear your mind. The fastest way to get tasks out of your head is use Todoist. Type just about anything into the task field and Todoist one of, um, one of a kind natural language recognition will instantly fill your to-do list. It'll help you focus on what's important. 
reach that mental clarity you've been longing for. Your tasks are automatically sorted in today, upcoming, and custom filter views to help you prioritize your most important work and get it all done. Where work and personal tasks can finally coexist. Tons of tasks, just one app. With workspaces, your personal, work, and team tasks can all live harmoniously under the same roof. Whew. Todoist makes it so easy and simple, or you can make it as complex as you want, as was stated by The Verge. We will share a link in our show notes, and thank you listeners for joining us. Join us for our next episode that will be released on September 20th. Listeners, please share your thoughts and ideas with us on our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at the Bulldog EDU. You can also follow Matt on Instagram at CastIron or on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Matthew Caston. And you can follow Kirsten on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter, at TeachKiwi or on Facebook or LinkedIn as Kirsten Wilson. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Season 4, The Bulldog Educator. Thank you, listeners, and tune in in the following weeks as we have great guests coming up. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode available on the most po- on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Have a great couple weeks till you see you next time.